The Shine Jesus Shine song is one I remember in my early career as a military chaplain of being introduced to it. And as we were singing it, for some reason, it brought back to an experience I had in college. When I went to Covenant College as a transfer student, um, I signed up to play intercollegiate soccer. And one of the things about the era that I played soccer in, at least in the South, was our coach had us do certain rituals to get us ready. And the ritual I thought of this morning was that when we would sit down and the assistant coaches would pass out the shin guards and tape. Because back in my day, you basically used what we called athletic tape, white two-inch strips to tie on, strap on those shin guards. And when you were doing that, you were supposed, every time you wrapped it around, you were supposed to focus just on the game, just on the game. You were supposed to let all the confusion, all the distraction go away, just on the game, just on the game. And of course, at the end of the game, you had to take them off. But no worry. Halfway through the season, you had no hair on your leg there. And it no longer pulled But it was to get ready. And when I look at this passage and I read the history of it, and when I'm by reading the history of it, I mean how it has been used. Because the passage that we are looking at has its own name that was given to it, or made popular at least, by the English Protestant missionary Hudson Taylor who started China Inland Missions and went to China and was there for 51 years. See, this was a passage that he would use to motivate people to go to other nations, to take the gospel there. This was at the end or near the end of Victoria's reign when the British Empire was far flung. But there was a parallel missionary movement in the United States around this passage. Do you know what one of the byproducts of the American missionary movement of the 1800s was? All of a sudden, across all of the United States, you had people that knew the globe. So when World War I came along, people understood where we would go. Because missionary thinking about the world had let them think beyond their town, beyond their state, beyond their country, that they had this international understanding, naive as it may have been, but they saw it as God's world. Now, when Hudson Taylor went to China, you know, he learned Chinese. Other people came, they learned Chinese. But because he saw something that he said had to change. He was a man who led a movement against the drug trade, the opium trade. And people back in England thought, you're crazy, that's where all the money's coming from. 
I mean, we have a local castle that was built by opium money just across from Plockton. I mean, people in this country got rich. But what Hudson Taylor saw was among the poor people who needed the gospel and also needed to get out of the opium business and addiction. While Hudson Taylor may not be remembered by the Chinese government as a Christian missionary, they remember him and have a statue of him as someone who spoke out against the opium trade. Now I say that because in the United States there is this conversation about have we pushed you far, have we done, you know, what, what about this passage? What I am going to propose to you and try to show you through scripture is that the issues people have with the Great Commission are because they leave out the words of Jesus that he uses to introduce it. That someone like Hudson Taylor understood. See, we live in what Os Guinness calls an age of preference. Where people just can pick and choose, do all kinds of things. You get on the internet, you go to a store, um, you go to a grocery store, and you've got how many different kinds of cereal? You go to the bread aisle, how many different kinds of bread? Ice cream, fish, meat. You think of all the choices. Now, that is becoming a global phenomenon of having choices. But you see, what we need to understand is that there's a good side and a dark side. Do you realize that people are, for the first time in their cultural history, are beginning to think that they have choices, and all of a sudden... Here come Christian missionaries, Christian disciples offering Jesus, and they're going, well, maybe I could choose that. They'd never thought of something, choosing something separate for themselves until they could say, oh, I want blue trainers instead of white trainers. I want this hat instead of that hat. So that there is an upside to all the choices people have globally. Because as Os Guinness says, People are willing to make choices they never would have thought of before. Now, before I get to this passage about the authority of Jesus, a couple more China stories. When I was at Covenant College, Francis Schaefer came to Covenant College. Francis Schaefer's wife was born in, Covenant, in China. Os Guinness was born there. My missions and theology teacher, one of them, was a missionary to China before the Chinese pushed him out and he ended up in Japan. And a lot of you may know that Presbyterianism, that for some reason, that was the field that attracted, at least from America, a lot of missionaries. The Presbyterians went to China. And what do we see happening? I remember Francis Schaeffer said, you know, I wonder if God is going to use communism to get it ready for the gospel. 
because it's going to get them to start to think in Western ways, to think in the way the Bible stories are written, to think that way. And then the gospel is going to come in. And what's happening now? The gospel is exploding underground in China. All those years that China Inland Missions and other missionary boards put in, through all the persecution of the Christians, I mean, you know, one of the stories you were told when you first came to Covenant College was about the Stam family and how the Chinese communists had cut off both her head and his head, that there were Presbyterian missionaries that had been martyred in China. But see, it's only Christians who look at a place where people are being martyred and say, that's where we got to go, that's where we got to pray. Because we know that God can overcome that. So China is putting Christians in industrial size re-education camps. China is separating children from their family. But China is continuing to expand. Where are they expanding to? They are really into Africa. And the Africans are welcoming them. The Africans are converting them. They open their hospitality because of their Christianness and they share the gospel with people who then become Christians and take the gospel back. It's like you want to keep the foreign missionaries out, but you're sending your workforce around the world to be exposed to Christianity, who are going to come back and say, guess what I found? This is a passage, and as we start with it, you know, you have this image, you know, you have a seaside image in one passage, now you have a mountaintop image, People are worshiping him. And it's recorded that some doubted. Do you see that doubters are welcome in Christian worship? People who haven't made up their minds are welcome to come and watch us worship? And what is Jesus, how does he start off sending his disciples to the nations? Listen to what it says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, authority is the power to act. This is something Jesus knew his disciples as they faced the Roman Empire would have to have. If you listen to the, the pastors that write things and preach things before they are sent to prison in China, they understand this. The reason they're up against their government is because Christ has the authority. Does this bring any historical bells in Scottish history? Wasn't the Covenanters about who's in charge? They didn't want British bishops. They wanted King Jesus. Now, they may not have gotten everything right, but they had the right direction in their sails as they went. 
See, it's the authority. It's a word that means it has the authority, the weight, especially the moral authority and influence in both heaven and earth. This is why a foreigner, somebody who is really from the outside, could look out at the Chinese culture and say, this opium trade is wrong. It's destructive. And it did what Christianity often does, is it attracted the wrong people. It didn't attract the ruling class. It didn't attract the, the landed class. It attracted poor people. It attracted poverty people because they understood that the gospel was for them. That they could make a choice. They could make a difference about their life and the life of their children because Christ had authority in heaven on earth it was given to him, he says. Now, I want to read two passages because this idea of the authority being given to Jesus Christ is something that, that Paul expands, enlightens, helps us understand. Because why else would people leave their homes, their language, their foods, their comfort, their families to go make disciples in other nations. Why would they give up so much? You know I've grown up around missionaries, and one of the things I have, a, you know, I was old enough to have real memories of, we would travel from Schenectady, New York, down to New York City, and have these prayer meetings on these ships that were taken Missionaries, and I particularly remember trips people going to Africa because they would have their steamer trunks. And, you know, as a young kid, I was fascinated. They took guns with them to protect themselves from wild animals. I mean, this was a stuff, this was adventurous in Christianity. People would leave all of that and go. There are still people who leave all of that and go. I remember when I joined came on active duty in the Air Force, my mother called me and said, why are you taking my grandchildren away from me? I was fortunate enough to think, I said, Mom, how many years did you pass out the missionary cards and we were praying for the world? Because I think what hit my mom was that almost at the same time that I was leaving, my sister was taking really young grandbabies with Wycliffe and going to Africa. So all of a sudden, those missionary prayer cards took two of her families away. Now they supported, they prayed, but I, I understood that it wasn't just the people who go, it's the people who are left behind. But see, we do it because of the authority of Christ, because See, I'm not on some ego trip. We're not on an ego trip to go offer the gospel to somebody. We do it because of Christ. Let me read from Philippians 2. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God hath highly exalted and given to him the name, which is above every name, that at his name every knee should bow, those in heaven and in earth and under the earth, every tongue confess him Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
That's from Philippians 2, 7 through 11. And Paul, in, in saying some of the same things, in Ephesians 1 says, God has raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come and put all things under his feet, given him the headship over all things for the benefit of the church, which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. See, the reason that the Great Commission, and I, what I want to do is I want to expand it. When we think about the Great Commission, I want to think because we live in this age of preference and we have this issue around the world is, why is this message valid? Why is this the truth? Why do we want to share it? It's because of who Jesus is. Think about this. One of the last images Jesus gives to his disciples in his own words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You think about sending people out into the Roman Empire. You think about people sending out to China. I read a story this week about Iran. One of the internal security chiefs in Iran says, we have a problem. Too many people are becoming Christians. There are more Christians alive today than there have been for the entire history since Christ, the church is growing. The church is growing without outside missionary influence. But for a hundred years, there were missionaries, and there was this Scottish missionary that I just loved his statement. He wrote back and he says, you know, we're not seeing any plants grow up. I'm not even sure I can plant the seed in the ground. What I am doing is moving the stones to get the field ready. And I thought, only a Scotsman would know how to say that, to move the stones to get the field ready. And now the field is ready and when you read in the words of this Iranian security official, the griping and sniping and all of that that's going on among the imams and above that, it's, it's like they look and they say, this can't be working. And they're willing to give Christianity because they see that there are people who are willing to die for their faith and people are becoming Christians. So when I think about the gospel in hard places, in places where it's really not safe, you know, we think about how many churches have been burned in France, how many churches get burned every week in Nigeria. 
People who say, I'm not running away, I'm staying, knowing that they could be executed. When I look at this authority, and then I see how Jesus ends the passage, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority, I'm with you. That takes me back to two passages in Genesis. Remember in in Genesis 3 how man and woman, Adam and Eve, are pushed out of the garden, the flaming swords, you can't come back. And now, Jesus says, I am with you always. The one who has all the authority. I mean, isn't that the issue that the snake, the serpent questioned? Did he really say that? Can you really believe him? No. But Jesus says, I have all that authority. I have that power. And... I am with you. See, as he gets ready to send them out, they're not going by themselves. He's going with them through the Holy Spirit. That's going to come at Pentecost. But we see Jesus in this passage in our memories as we look at Genesis. We come here, we see him reversing that. Now, what I want to say is in today's world, in this age of preference, when we offer Christ to people, we have to offer a Christ who has all authority. Because I think that is one of the hardest things for modern people in the West, at least, to give up is this myth that I'm in charge of my own life, that I can make up the rules, I can make up my life. My wife isn't here, so I can tell this story because I said I wouldn't, but I think I will. I'm amazed at at how people want to rewrite things. People want to rewrite the Bible. They say, oh, Jesus really didn't mean that. We're going to get that in a minute. People feel like they can rewrite things. There are, some of you may have seen this. Some of you know about this HBO show called Game of Thrones. There is an online uh, petition signed by 800,000 people who want them to do the the season all over again because they don't like it. They don't like the story. They don't like where it's headed. And see, that's one of the things about the gospel is it's not my story to write. It's not your story to write. But to be willing to say to Jesus, yes, you're the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. See, that is what I call a pre-evangelism. I can't hide that from people. And then a discipleship issue. We're going to look at that in just a moment. This issue of who is in charge. Who has the ability to act, who has... The ability to say so. And remember in Luke we saw that he went to the Old Testament, to the law, the prophets, the poets, the Psalms. Um, John talked about writing scripture. 
But there's another thing I want you to think about when he says, I am with you. I want you to go way back in my preaching. Remember Genesis 15? When Jesus, I mean, when God, the Lord, said to Abram after he'd won this great battle, he said, fear not. For I am your shield and your very great reward. See, a shield was something that was always with you offered. And Jesus says, I'm going to protect you. And I am your reward. And Jesus says to them, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, that's a very practical part of Christianity that modern life oftentimes pushes out the very presence of God in our lives. That God is with us. Not just as an accessory, as a coat, or however you want to describe it, but God is with us. Through the hard times, the bad times, the sad times, as well as the good times and the joyful times. I've heard people say, I don't know if I could do what they're doing in China. I don't know if I could be separated from my kids for the faith. If I could trust God to take care of my kids in this mammoth institution that is designed to destroy their faith and their love for their parents. I don't know if I could do that. Now, It is disciples that make disciples. Go. Now, one of the things I read about Scottish people before I came here, and I have discovered is true, is that Scotland has a lot of introverts. People who like their own little world. I, I think of it in terms of, you know, I walk by and I'll chat with people over their fence. And then eventually they'll open the gate, I'll go in and I'll, I'll talk in the garden. And we don't really have, you don't have, at least where I live, you don't have porches like we have in the, in the south where you can come and sit on the porch before you go into the house. So the idea of going... Seems kind of scary. It seems like God is trying to stretch us. And even if we don't go geographically, can we go to the neighbor we know? Can we go to the family member we know? See, that's one of the things I love about this place is there are so many extended families. But I also know from stories that some of those families, the only time they get together is at a funeral. Because they don't party together. They don't celebrate birthdays together. But that idea of go. That Christianity is a religion, a relationship, a message that is to be taken. Remember what Jesus said in Luke? We are to be witnesses. What he said in John, we are to follow. 
And this idea of all nations that is here, I mean, I hope you know where I'm going. We're going back to Genesis 12, right? Because in that passage, remember what God said to Moses. That through him, all the families on the earth, all the nations would be blessed. You see, from the very beginning of God's story of covenant is this idea of blessing the nations. Now, sometimes that's hard. You know, I have friends who we were praying for China. We've been praying for China for a while. And every time I see these stories about, because when I, when I was in the military nine years ago, people were learning to how to prosecute a war with China. Because people really believed that was going to happen. And then certain things happen that keep making that shorter. And so I see this one story about getting ready for the war with China. China's building a blue water navy. They have blue water aircraft carriers. They have blue water submarines, all of that. And then I hear the story of the gospel is making advances. And some of you know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who came to the United States before the war to try to figure out how do we Christians make peace? And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, we have brothers and sisters in China, millions and millions of them. Can we figure out how to make peace the way people did in the past and failed? We always, no matter what is happening, need to have a global perspective on the gospel. It's for all kinds of people. That's why you have people that are teaching them the stories of the gospel before they get the text of the gospel in their language. They're teaching them the stories to get ready so when they read them, something will connect. One of the things that's so different is I watched in my own missionary family and my sister my, I have a brother-in-law who is an amazing individual. He has such a gift for languages. He was raised in a translator's family. They were Lutheran brethren um, in Cameroon. I mean, this guy can learn a language in a month. But you know what he does now? He goes in Africa to work with Africans on translations and on telling gospel stories, putting them into the language. And see, he understands, because he works with so many people, how difficult sometimes some of the biblical ideas are. What do you do if in your language there is no word for forgiveness? What do you do if there is no word for the kind of love we were talking about last week between Jesus and Peter? All these subtleties that we, in the English-speaking word, are just so at ease with, thankfully, God has given us a wonderful opportunity in English-language Bibles that other people are still getting the basic words for the first time because it takes time. 
You think about all the ways authority is viewed around the world. About how other nations are looked at. I mean, when the Jewish people said somebody was a Gentile, that, you know, today we'd call that hate speech. We'd call that racism. We'd, you know, we'd say, you can't say that about somebody. That they're an outsider. The Greeks thought, see, you know, that the people in the country were just not worthy to be citizens. Maybe worse than slaves. So think about Genesis 12, when every time you hear all nations, this is God at work keeping his promise. A lot of you know I went to Afghanistan. The largest sending country of missionaries to Afghanistan is South Korea. Do you know what they do in, South, in Afghanistan? They do eye surgery to get rid of glaucoma and other things. Because most people in Afghanistan, by the time you're 40, go blind because their diet is so poor, because there's no vegetables, there's no things that keep your eyes healthy. And so these doctors and nurses and operating rooms and trucks go from village to village and correct people's eyes while telling them the gospel. See, that's one of the things that we need to realize is that English language is not the only gospel that people are hearing around the world. It might be Korean, it might be Chinese, it might be Filipino. One of the things that I noticed about a lot of the places I went with the military, you know who was working there and sending money back home? It was Filipinos. I met this doctor who was working, cleaning, you know, dishes and pots and pans in a military kitchen. And he told me he could learn, earn enough money in a year to go back home and be a doctor for three years for free. I mean, I said, the math is just like, you got to be kidding so here's a guy who is a doctor who's figured out a way to take care of his own people by coming over and washing my pots and pans. He's a Christian man. He's, you know, he wants to give away medicine to people who can't afford it in his country and the villages around and the islands. See, that was one of the things about going to 42 different countries is realizing that God is at work in a lot of places that don't speak English. That God is at work among the nations. And then he changes the, the game. Jesus does. He tells them to baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't have time today to go into it, but when you look at Paul in the New Testament and you see the theological and the, the reasons why baptism replaced circumcision, and how baptism is for men and for women, and 
you know, we believe it is for the children of the covenant, just as it was in Genesis 17, that you put the sign of the covenant on your children. That Paul, I mean, Peter, when he's preaching the gospel, would tell them to repent and be baptized for the promises to you and to your children and to your children's children. But the pouring of water, the washing of the water, was the sign of the new covenant. And then he makes it very clear, and see, this is one of the things that Christianity says and makes it stand out, is that we are a Trinitarian religion. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, fully God, one God. And see, that's part of the faith, is to say, okay, this is how God describes himself. See, I am not the one to make it up. God is not some... I think I used this in another sermon. You know, God isn't Build-A-Bear where you can say, I want God to look like this or an avatar that you designed. No, you have to listen to God say who he is. And the thing he starts off here is it's about authority. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why you'll hear often in my opening prayers, I will use the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to remind us that we are Trinitarian, that we believe in what God has said. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, then we come to the heart of being a disciple. When we're told to go make disciples, what are we to do? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, disciples basically are learners. Disciples are people that would follow a teacher. Disciples are people who are willing to be taught. Notice how they also included doubters. See, that's where doubters can have their doubts dealt with, is in discipleship relationships. See, we live in this preference culture where we want to make up the stories. Oh, I don't like that. I want you, you know, I don't know how many millions of dollars they spent. I want you to change the story. See, if Jesus has all authority and he tells us to go out and to teach to observe all that I have commanded you. What he is doing is he's pulling together what he told us to do in Luke, what he told us he was going to do in John. He says, look at me and listen. (laughs) One of the verses that this rattles around in my head from the upper room is when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. When Jesus says about the sheep, how do you know they're a sheep? Because they listen to his voice. See, disciples listen to the voice of Jesus. They don't say, oh, I want to make it up as I go. And that's that's for everything under heaven and earth. And see, sometimes as a pastor, you have to hold people's feet to the fire and say, that's not what Jesus says. I know that's what our culture says, but that's not what Jesus says. 
You know, China is trying to make Christianity Chinese, trying to make Muslim Chinese. And the Christians are saying, uh-uh. Muslims are saying, no way. They want, the government wants to rewrite the story. And see, that's one of the things about asking someone to come and follow Jesus Christ as a disciple, as a follower, as a witness, somebody who is deeply in love because of the faith, to realize that God is the one who has the authority, who teaches me. And see, if I believe that what God wants to teach me is because he loves me, I mean, remember that in the assurance of pardon from Romans 5? We were loved while we were sinners. See, in this age of preference, we need to be teachable. And so you go back in all the Gospels and you say, what was Jesus teaching us? We know from Luke that he's put his hand, his fingerprints all over the Old Testament. See, I want this passage to motivate you to go. I want this passage to help you be teachable so you can teach. Each one teach one. Not just in your family, but outside of your family. And I know it's hard. You've heard me tell part of the story of Pixie Holbrook in the 8th grade study hall in my first attempt, fumbling attempt, to share the gospel. And it was rejected. Which was probably a good thing. Because it pushed me back to learn and to listen more. It was because of that I was open to learn the Roman road to share with people. Which I have used that and then a combination of evangelism explosion to see people come to know the Lord. One of the, my greatest surprises, and I don't know why it was a surprise, but it was a surprise, was I had a young man in Egypt come up to me and he says, you know, I've been coming to your sermons about Jesus and I am, the I am things about Jesus, and I've, I've never been a Christian, but I want to be a Christian. Through public worship, through preaching, this young man decided he wanted to follow Jesus Christ. Now, this was something that I had seen happen in, in, in you know, I'm, I'm going to have this guy. We're going to sit down, pray, look at the Bible. He's going to pray a prayer. We're going to start it, and then guess what's going to happen? He's going to get on a plane and go someplace else. And I say, look up your chaplain. Find somebody that can disciple you, that can teach you. Sometimes you are part of someone's story. You're not their whole story. But we need to be there to go, and we need to be open up to the nations. When people move, we know that they're more open to new things because they've given up so much. What's happening down in the south, down near London, 
Who's evangelizing London? Immigrants. People that come from strong Christian churches in Africa are looking around at secular London and say, this place needs Christ. It's got all these buildings. But where's Christ? So, I guess I will close with what Jesus closes. Because this is what the encouragement is. You know we live in a lonely, anxious world, and Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Jesus, I am in awe that your church is just doing so many amazing things around the world. Father, we ask that you would bring that blessing here to Kyle, to the sky. That you would enable us to go to our neighbors, to our families. That in the hard world of choices and preferences, we would remember that you have all the authority. And you've communicated that. Father, we thank you that you gather us to worship, to encourage, to remind us, to heal, to know that our sins are really forgiven. So, Father, we give you all the glory today. We give you all the thanks that your holiness has come through Jesus Christ and through your Holy Spirit and through your word. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.